Welcome back to the SBC History Podcast. We cover the people, places, and events of the Southern Baptist Convention. Stories from the past to help guide us in the present. I'm really excited about today. From time to time, we like to have on guests. And uh, today we have a very special guest, Bart Barber. Most of you probably know him from his work in the convention and around other places. But he's here to talk to us about J. Frank Norris. Before we begin, Bart, tell us about yourself. So my name's Bart Barber, and I am a pastor at First Baptist Church in Farmersville, Texas, which is a small town northeast of Dallas, far enough northeast of Dallas that it's not still Dallas. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's, some, there's open land between us and the city. Uh, and I've been here since 1999. Um, I am uh, keenly interested in Baptist history um, at this point. Um, always had some interest in it. To tell you the truth, though, um, <clears throat> I finished my, my MDiv at Southwestern Seminary in 1996. And at that time, um, was trying to decide uh, what I wanted to do for further studies for major and minor and uh, entertain the possibility of studying philosophy of religion, entertain the possibility of studying uh, theology, systematic theology. And then also entertain the, the possibility of studying church history. And um, it, was a, uh, it, was, it was a time, uh, while I was an MDiv student, uh, uh, church history was being made, I suppose. Uh, uh, Russell Dilday uh, was removed from the presidency at Southwestern. Uh, Ken Hemphill came in. Um, and then I... And then I went away from studies, and, um, and when it, and the time came to come back, there had been a lot of turnover in the faculty, a lot of, a lot of good people added to the faculty. Uh, but I was also in a position where um, a lot of them I didn't know. I hadn't studied with them in MDiv work. And so I was trying to find somewhere uh, that I could work in a department that I'd have an idea who it was, uh, who would be my professors. And so that sort of sealed the deal for me uh, because um, I had had uh, MDiv classes with Jim Spivey uh, and with Stephen Stuckey, uh, who were both still uh, on the faculty there at Southwestern. And so, uh, so I decided to major in church history and minor in systematic theology because I'd also had James Leo Garrett, who was still uh, there on faculty. And, uh, and that developed a keen interest in church history for me. I probably... I'm not only a church historian, I'm a pastor, so I tend to give long-winded answers probably right. longer than what you're one. And you did your, so your PhD is in history, something in Arkansas history, is that right? So the dissertation uh, was about the split in the 19, 1902 in the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, uh, where a man named Ben Bogard led a uh, group of people out of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. And uh, he wound up uh, joining forces with people who had left the Baptist General Convention of Texas under Samuel A. Hayden. And uh, the Baptist Missionary Association uh, of America and the American Baptist Association uh, both uh, arise out of that uh, after after. Well, one way to say it, after Ben Bogard couldn't get along with Southern Baptists, he couldn't get along with Missionary Baptists either, and so uh, wound up creating the ABA. That's good. 
Well, I asked Sean here because I saw you were talking online about J. Frank Norris, and uh, I think he's somebody, one of the most fascinating figures in SBC history. Along I agree. With others. Give me a 30-second biography of him, if you can. Okay. Well, uh, so, yeah, J. Frank Norris was, uh, was born uh, in Alabama, actually, uh, but eventually wound up uh, out in sort of frontier Texas, uh, uh, down in, in Hill County, Texas. And uh, um, then uh, Norris wound up, um, uh, which by the way, was very rough, and I'll talk about that later, but a very rough and tumble uh, time and, and place uh, to be alive in America. Uh, and then uh, went to Baylor. Uh, he was at Baylor during a, uh, a controversial time uh, that, that he had uh, some part of making it controversial, uh, which we can talk about. Is there ever a non-controversial time at Baylor? <laughs> no, I went to Baylor too, and it was a controversial time. <laughs> so I suppose uh, uh, I suppose you've got a point there. Uh, but um, anyway. Uh, Norris wound up, uh, you said a 30-second biography, Norris wound up uh, coming into ownership of the, the Bad Standard and uh, then uh, uh, wound up coming into the pastorate at, at First Baptist in Fort Worth. He, uh, he was a friend to B.H. Carroll. He was uh, very influential in Southern Baptist life. Uh, also wound up being the pastor of Temple Baptist Church uh, in Detroit, Michigan, uh, flew on an airplane between the two places uh, to pastor both churches simultaneously, which is, uh, you know, uncommon. And um, not uh, long after airplanes had been invented. Right, exactly. Uh, so, so this was a guy who was using high technology, very flamboyant, very controversial, uh, and, um, he was, he was put on trial for, uh, his having shot an unarmed man to death in his office. Uh, and, uh, uh, he had, uh, you know, some people will point to a couple of fires that happened in churches, uh, where he was serving, uh, and we'll, and we'll talk about those being perhaps something that, um, that, that he caused. It's just a, a whirlwind of controversy on purpose. He liked that. Yeah. And um, wound up eventually uh, parting ways with Southern Baptists, uh, led uh, you know, that church to, um, to, to very vocally part ways with Southern Baptists during the fundamentalist modernist controversy and, um, and, uh, and then went on you know, to, to stay in Fort Worth until the day of his death, um, and, uh, and, and just a, a kind of a watershed figure uh, in Baptist history in Texas. People still talking about J. Frank Norris. Yeah. It's important, I think, we think about Fort Worth. Don't think about it as today Dallas-Fort Worth one conglomerate. It was its own separate entity. Was oh, yeah. Near Dallas, of course, but it, this is in the early 1900s, and it was a – it was a very rough place. 
Yeah, I mean, you had in Fort Worth, uh, first of all, as you pointed out so well, it's that you don't have a continuous uh, set of urban area between Dallas and Fort Worth until really not that long ago. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the construction of DFW Airport yeah. uh, would not have been possible if that were all occupied land, right? Uh, and, uh, so, uh, they, uh, um, they were very much, uh, separate, um, separate municipalities and Fort Worth was sort of the beginning of the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Hell's Half Acre, uh, there in, uh, um, there, there in Fort Worth and, uh, you had a, uh, um, uh, uh, rowdy cowboys coming in, lots of, uh, lots of drinking and uh, rowdiness, and uh, uh, and it was just really uh, kind of a, a rough frontier uh, town uh, that uh, that you know would have uh, bordellos and saloons and and uh, and all sorts of mischief uh, going on in that day and time. This is, is the SBC history podcast. So why is he important to SBC history? Well, for a number of reasons. First of all. Uh, he was uh, he was instrumental in having a professor removed from uh, I'm not a professor a president removed from Baylor University. Ultimately, uh, I think the big answer to that is J. Frank Norris is important to Southern Baptist history because he um, he represents the the modernist fundamentalist controversy uh, on one of the wings, one of the extremes of that. Um, the uh, Probably the other pole of that uh, would be uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick and uh, then, you know, contemporaries. And if you take those two guys and put them out on the wings, about everybody is in between uh, those two spots during that time frame. And uh, so Norris, uh, uh, Norris was, was terribly influential, uh, and I choose terribly on purpose, because he terrified a lot of people uh, during that time frame. Uh, so he's important as a part of this big story that gives rise to the Baptist faith and message, for example. Uh, the reason we have a Baptist faith and message is because E.Y. Mullins was leading the convention to try to clarify where we were on the fundamentalist modernist controversy, largely because of attacks from people like J. Frank Norris. Uh, and then uh, he's also important because he's important to the institutional history of Southwestern Seminary. Uh, Southwestern Seminary is located in Fort Worth largely because of J. Frank Norris. Uh, J. Frank Norris advocated uh, for Fort Worth as an appropriate site and, in fact, uh, uh, drove B.H. Carroll out to, to survey the, the plot where the seminary is located presently today and was a friend and confidant uh, to Carroll and then also is important to the institutional history of Southwestern because of the way he became an enemy of Southwestern Seminary. Right. Did not like Lee Scarborough. Uh, the seminary went through a very difficult time where we barely survived during the, the Great Depression. Uh, and, um, and at that time, J. Frank Norris mercilessly attacked the seminary's president and faculty uh, and in ways uh, that, as they reported it, were, were very personally uh, uh, painful. Uh, they, a lot of them were scarred by the sorts of, he did things like, it is alleged, did things like 
uh, leave sacks of rotten fruit and vegetables on the uh, doorsteps of starving professors uh, who hadn't been paid in quite some time at seminary. So, um, you know, uh, that, uh, that kind of thing makes difficult, I think, the historiography of J. Frank Norris because uh, a lot of what's been written about J. Frank Norris was written by people who were personally affected uh, right. with and had, a, had powerful feelings about him uh, or by, you know, one generation removed from that, people whose teachers in the field of Baptist history were personally affected by J. Frank Norris and had powerful feelings about it. So he's he's in the middle of all these. Uh, this is a controversial time, like we said. There's prohibition is going on. Oh yeah. Fosdick wrote, uh, "Shall the fundamentalists win in 22?" And all these things are going on. So how did he impact the SBC around him at that time? Well, um, I think. Um, I think it's safe to say that the Southern Baptist Convention remained a bit more conservative because of J. Frank Norris, because uh, he had an appeal for a lot of Southern Baptists that the that the convention uh, did not want to uh, did not want to lose, and so uh, it was necessary for the convention to answer some of the criticisms that that Norris uh, launched against the SBC. Uh, so I think that. Uh, the existence of the Baptist faith and message, uh, while I wouldn't put that solely in the hands of J. Frank Norris, uh, it's significant. Uh, his, his attacks against Baylor and against Southwestern Seminary and against the convention as a whole uh, were emblematic of the sorts of things that prompted the uh, authorship of the Baptist faith and message. Even, uh, even, even like E.Y. Mullins was probably considerably bit different than Norris, even theologically in places, I'm sure. But he was able to put something that they all could agree on together. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's right. And of course, E.Y. Mullins um, was, uh, was gifted at being purposely broad, somewhat vague in his writing. Uh, in order to achieve things like that. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a way of looking at this that can say that uh, that controversies in 1963 and, and yeah. later on in the 70s and 80s uh, really were the postponed controversies of the 1920s in a lot of ways, uh, that, that E.Y. Mullins was successfully able to hold off for, uh, for the duration of his lifetime. Uh, but may also have intensified in some ways by pushing them back. He affected Southwestern because it it grew to become the largest seminary in the world. But uh, do you think that the kind of attacks he had on that helped that or hurt it or what? Uh, you know, the attacks he made on the seminary, um, they damaged the seminary for a while, I think. But some of the things that happened in um, in Norris's personal life, right. um, I think, gave room for people who wanted to discredit what he was saying to be able to do that effectively. Uh, Southwestern's heyday of growth right. comes later, uh, really, and so I think the best that we can say about the seminary during 
the um, during the early years of their debate with Norris, during the Scarborough years, I think the strongest thing we can say about the seminary is that it did not die. Uh, but it nearly did. Uh, it was an episode, uh, Lee Scarborough went to uh, a Southern Baptist meeting and, uh, and, and declared, uh, not in front of all the messengers, but in a private meeting, declared, Southwestern Seminary's finished. Here are the keys to the seminary. Uh, you guys can have it. We're out of money and no way we can go forward. And it's only because Southern Seminary advanced money to Southwestern Seminary to bail us out of that difficult moment that Southwestern survived. And uh, I don't know how much of that Norris caused. Uh, I mean, Norris didn't cause the Great Depression. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't know. And, and Norris didn't cause the 75 million campaign uh, not to come through on all its pledges. And this was a difficult financial time for every Southern Baptist institution. Right. You have the Clinton Carnes scandal going right. on, same time frame. So very difficult time for everybody. But, uh, but Southwestern survived during that time. And then, you know, Norris is, um, Norris started his own school. Um, and, um, and it certainly never grew to be anything like Southwestern. And, uh, you know, in the end, let me just jump to this. I, I think one of the best ways to understand J. Frank Norris is just to say that this is a this is a frontier kid that the frontier never left his heart, right. uh, who found himself uh, in a time of sociological change, where the frontier went away. And um, you know, I grew up in an age where um, uh, when I was younger. Uh, in the United States, we we premiered um, uh, 911 as a phone number that you could call to get help. Right. Okay. So I remember stickers on our refrigerator helping us to know, call 911 if there's a fire or any other kind of an emergency. J. Frank Norris growing up didn't have a refrigerator to put a sticker on. Right. Didn't have a phone to call 911. And if he had, not anybody to answer it on the other side. He grew up in the in rural frontier of Texas where you can't call anybody else where you have a problem. Right. And so, and so the way, the way people did things was they had a gun and they had, uh, they had frontier common sense. And if they had problems come up, they dealt with them and then they would explain it to a jury later, right. you know? And, um, there's a, um, there's a, uh, a guy named Frederick Jackson Turner, who's a historian uh, who uh, authored something called The Frontier Thesis. His book was, I think it's called The Frontier in American History, um, was, the, was the title of it. And um, so the, the case he made about this period of time was that, um, that you have frontier virtues and then you have the virtues of then American industrialism that the industrial age brings in. Right. And under the frontier, the things that made you a good, successful uh, uh, person, the kind, of, the kind of man people looked up to, the frontier man, uh, those things were individualism, uh, nationalism, uh, mobility, and not in the way we use the word today, but egalitarianism. Not sexual egalitarianism, but 
instead the idea that there's no hierarchy, there are no kingmakers, uh, but any man can pull himself up by his own bootstraps. And, uh, and as a rugged individual, uh, he's got as, as good a shot as anybody. Uh, so uh, that kind of populist, uh, agrarian sort of uh, frame of mind. And that's J. Frank Norris. I mean, he's, he's, the, he's the rugged individual. Uh, he struggled uh, to do something like fit in with uh, the Baptist General Convention of Texas uh, if he wasn't in charge of it. Of it. Uh, struggled, to, struggled to fit in at Southwestern Seminary after Lee Scarborough became the second president instead of him. Um, he uh, very a lot of nationalism, a lot of politics uh, in J. Frank Norris's preaching. Uh, I mean, mobility. This is a guy flying back and forth from Detroit to Fort Worth. Uh, not really a sink down roots in one place kind of guy, but going wherever he finds opportunity and, uh, and egalitarianism, he didn't give a hoot for what, uh, higher ups, uh, would say. And, uh, then, those are all, those are all qualities you still find around the SBC today. Certainly. Absolutely. There's a strong agrarian uh, thread to uh, to Southern Baptist history going all the way back to the beginning and through until today. But then also, I think all of those have been affected to some degree. You don't find many J. Frank Norris's right. in the Southern Baptist Convention right. today. Uh, but the, the industrial virtues that came in uh, that started modifying or displacing some of those others were efficiency, uh, ambition, professionalism. Uh, and then Futurism, sort of an idea that that if we'll just wait and work and have enough inventions come along, the future is going to be better than today is. We're going to be able to improve things, and uh, not not necessarily so much in a post millennial eschatological sense. Although post millennialism became very popular right. uh, in the time frame when the, these virtues were 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 coming to be, uh, but just in the idea of the next iPhone is going to be better than this one, you know. Sort, sort of that idea. And, um, and so along with that, I think, you know, we moved into a world, particularly with this professionalism idea, this futurism idea, we moved in a world where you just don't shoot people in your church office, you know, no matter if he, uh, you know, there was, there was a Texas where it was a, it was an affirmative defense to say, well, he needed killing. Uh, and, and, uh, and that Texas was going away. Uh, but J. Frank Norris was still a product of that Texas. And it's not just Texas, it's, it's the frontier. Um, I preached at a church in Arkansas that was one of the first churches to be settled in Arkansas. And uh, the, they have the history of the founding of that church. A revivalist came in, set up a brush arbor, uh, called people in to have uh, services. And there were some young toughs who rode up on their horses to say, we don't need any religion around here, old man. And he reached down his pulpit and pulled out two six shooters and said, here I am. <laughs> if you got, if you want to settle this, let's just go outside and settle this. And those guys got on their horses and wheeled around and rode off. And then he didn't put the six shooters back into the pulpit. He just set them right on top <laughs> and said, now, if we have any more problems, y'all know where to find me. Uh, and for frontier preachers, right. this was life. Right. And uh, uh, Norris just held on to that too late and was a fish out of water then, I think. Is there a 
lesson in that for us today? How does he still impact the SBC today, or does he? Well, um, I think um, I think you know that's a that's a really good question. Certainly, the memory of J. Frank Norris is alive and well. So, right. one way that he affects the SBC today is um, is that anytime you have someone who's a little bit schismatic. Uh, particularly if they're schismatic from the right, uh, that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention can point to a, uh, I'm not even sure how to pronounce the last name, Nathan, is it Rager? 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 Yeah. Uh, R-A-G-E-R. Uh, guy who, uh, who came, to the, came to the SBC annual meeting a couple of years ago, uh, way, way right wing. I think he's in independent fundamentalist Baptist circles right now. Uh, and, um, uh, somebody like that comes along and starts making those kind of critiques and that kind of a style. Uh, we have a label to put that under now. Southern right. Baptists can look and say, well, you know what? That's a J Frank Norris kind of way to behave. Right. And so we've already decided what we think about that. And we're not gonna, we're not gonna pay much attention to that. So I think in some ways Norris has become, uh, a, uh, a title and a category under which, under which we can we can put people sometimes to make sense of today. Yeah. Uh, I think um, we can also look and say that uh, on the on the on the positive side. That's that's kind of on the negative side. On the positive side of things, uh, there's certainly a thread from Norris all the way through the conservative resurgence. Yeah. Uh, all the way through until today uh, of um, of the idea of, um, of of spirited dissent <laughs> from uh, from from pastors right. who uh, who may not be plugged into denominational hierarchy right but who still feel big enough in their own britches uh, to, to step up and say, I don't like what's happening uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. Blogging is probably uh, an area, blogging and social media, Twitter and Facebook, probably an area where we see uh, kind of this tradition of dissent uh, uh, showing itself uh, down, through the, down through the ages. That's a way in which, although I, ideologically, Luke, they're on different spots in the spectrum that we could point to, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Wade Burleson and say, uh, not, not to be uncharitable at all, and, and full disclosure, Wade and I saw things differently uh, in, in, in the 2006 to 2010 timeframe blogging. And, yeah. and I'm not trying to throw away the bus here. Obviously very different men, J. Frank Norris and, and Wade Burleson in, in their, uh, in their, in their beliefs, their location on the spectrum of Baptist belief. Uh, so instead I'm just talking about the idea that you can have a pastor right. who could become influential and air his views, not through the SBC annual meeting, not through, the protocols as they existed, but have an independent pathway uh, to to speak his mind 
and capture the attention of Baptist people and, um, and, 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 and become a gadfly to, uh, to, to the people who actually held elected or employed office uh, in the SBC who were trying to take things in a different direction. And you know, people like that have a role in the SBC and uh, we, might, we might not always agree with it or even like it, but thinking about somebody like Norris, uh, do we celebrate him or do we uh, be cautious about him? There's no buildings named after him at Fort Worth, I don't think. But so do we celebrate somebody like that? Well, um, it's going to be hard to celebrate J. Frank Norris in the Southern Baptist Convention for a while, probably. Uh, as I said a while ago, um, the, um, the, 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 the victors write the history of the war, right? Right. And so, um, and so J. Frank Norris has become, uh, well, when I was a PhD student at Southwestern, we would have annually what we called the J. Frank Norris Jubilee Jaunt, where uh, uh, PhD history students would uh, get to the seminary van and we would go out and visit grave sites of, of famous Southwestern related people, most of them Southwestern related. We did go see Lee Harvey Oswald's great too, great too, but uh, uh, mostly Southwestern related folks. Uh, and, and, you know, we would talk and, and what you had to do was share your most outlandish J. Frank Norris story, uh, while you were out there, you know, uh, uh, enjoying this time together. So, uh, so he's become iconic in a bad way right? and in a way that may not be historically accurate, um, uh, I don't mean by that to say that this is a saint who was made into a sinner. Right. I mean that to say that this is someone who was just bad enough that you could have any bad theory right. about him and not really be challenged on it because, because who wants to be the guy who said that Hitler was, was really not that bad <laughs> and, in the same way, J. Frank Norris has come to kind of occupy that space in Southern Baptist history. That uh, that that who's going to say that J. Frank Norris really wasn't that bad? But uh, there are some people, uh, and because of that very thing, I'm not going to name them. But, <laughs> but I don't want them to be castigated for this. But there are some people who are at work uh, now reevaluating J. Frank Norris to see whether now that we can have generations of historians who, um, who, who did not fight in the battles right. to, to come back and say, let's try to do an objective assessment of, uh, of this Southern Baptist leader and, and see if we, can, if we can get a look at the, the warts and the, and the achievements. He did not become a a two-city, cross-continental, right. uh, heavily in demand uh, Christian pastor uh, by by being someone who was just a jerk to everybody. Uh, no, nobody, nobody gets that for being an arsonist and a murderer, right? right? Right. We've got to wrap this up, but there's a lot of him to talk about. Flying across country and two, you probably couldn't get any more distinct cities than Fort Worth and Detroit and pastoring both those places and, and 
he was loved by those who loved him and hated by those who hated him. Yeah. But, uh, there's just so much to get into about him. I'm glad to hear that somebody is researching that. I'm going to link to some resources in the show notes about him. But uh, before we close, we spent a lot of time talking about the past of the SBC. Give me a, uh, give me an indication of what you're excited about for the future of the SBC. I think we have a new generation of leadership. Certainly there's been a major passing of the baton that has happened over the course of the last year uh, across uh, a, a wide number of our entities. Uh, I think it's always a, a positive thing to be able to look and say uh, that it's not hard to find leaders for the next generation. Uh, I remember uh, when I was 16, 17, uh, God had called me to preach. I was preaching some. When I was 17, I was serving as pastor of a small church in the area where I grew up. And and uh, and a guy who had been my pastor said, Bart, you, uh, you like school. Uh, you love God. You love the Bible. You need to go make sure that you get a Ph.D., which I wound up doing because God had called me to do that, too. But he said, the reason why you need to do that is because we're about to have this conservative resurgence here in the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> and we don't have anybody who's conservative who has any education. And we're going we're gonna to have to get professors from somewhere, and we don't know where we're going to go. Wow. Boy, did that turn out to be a bad prediction. Yeah. Uh, because as it turns out, there are bright, conservative, inerrancy-affirming, Bible-believing uh, people all over who uh, are, uh, you know, we have a really deep situation right now for leadership in the SEC. I I think any of these entity leaders who have been newly elected, I think think there's a list of five people below every one of them who could have gotten those jobs. Who could have, yeah. And could have done a great job. And we sometimes take that for granted and don't realize that for a lot of Christian denominations, that's not the situation. No. And so I give thanks to God for that. Uh, I realize that it's easy to look on, on Twitter and social media and to think, man, it's just one fight over the other. But honestly, I think any objective look at our history would say that we're in a golden age of peace yeah. in the SBC. You look at the 1800s and we split oh, yeah. multiple times yeah. over a whole lot of issues. Yeah. And the conservative resurgence is the only thing that even comes close. And that, you know, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship was what? Four churches and an association. <laughs> Obviously, I'm exaggerating, but that's, uh, but, but certainly the strength and vitality of the Southern Baptist Convention were not sapped away at all by the conservative resurgence and the CBF barely even qualifies as a split. Uh, A lot of those churches are still in the SBC and some of them are coming to a more conservative point of view. And so, um, you know, I think we're, we're really in a golden age of, of peace and unity. It doesn't look like it, but I really think we are in a golden age of peace and unity in the SBC and that God's going to bless that in the years to come. That's good. I know if uh, social media had existed, Back then, for J. Frank Norris, it would have been... J. Frank Norris on Twitter. Wow. I like to imagine what the the conservative resurgence would have looked like on social media. (laughs) 
it kind of melts my mind thinking about this, this was a guy who put together sermon titles like what prominent Fort Worth businessman is buying stockings for a woman other than his wife <laughs> Can you imagine him with a Twitter account oh wow well, it's time for us to wrap up, Bart, but I really appreciate you taking the time to come on with us. I know there's uh, always lots going on for pastors, but I think this is an important topic that we need to know and hear about. So thank you. Yeah, Luke, uh, it's been great doing this uh, interview with you. Uh, good luck editing out the phone calls and stuff. Sorry about that. Okay. And uh, I apologize for being so talkative. It's no problem. We'll let you go. Thank you, Bart. Okay, thank you. Well, folks, that's another edition of the SBC History Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Please look into J. Frank Norris. There is lots more to hear about. Make sure and check the show notes. Share this podcast with others. Uh, There's some good stories in here. You're bound to find a sermon illustration or two, I'm sure. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.